0: Welcome friends, you are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's word with you today. Thanks for joining us. We are glad you are here for this experience and we are praying this is a great one for you. Uh, Four weeks ago, we talked about that famous statement, God won't give you more than you can handle and we replaced it with the more biblical statement, God will lead you and be with you in those hard to handle moments. Then three weeks ago we talked about the statement, God helps those who help themselves and we replaced that with several more biblical statements like God helps those who deny themselves and God helps those who help others and of course God helps those who cannot help themselves. Two weeks ago, we looked at the phrase, God wants me to be happy, and we replaced it with the more biblical, God wants me to be holy. And last week, we examined the phrase, we hear it so often, everything happens for a reason, and we tweaked that one too by saying anything that happens can lead to redemption. Well, this is the last Sunday of the series, and today we're looking at another statement that people often make, and this is one you hear when someone passes away that heaven gained another angel. You've heard it before, right? The question is, is that biblical? Like, Christians often say it, but does that come from Scripture? Well, that brings us to our big idea. Here it is. Christians often say, when you die, heaven gains another angel, But the Bible says, when you die, your eternity is sealed. Now, the first statement is therapeutic, but the second statement is fundamental to the teachings of Jesus. But I want to begin by asking I suppose it's a bit of a dark question, but I'll ask it anyway, and that is what is the worst thing that's ever been said at a funeral? This is a a, a true story. There was a young lady, and she was standing in line, and she was at a funeral home. She was about to give her condolences to the family of a classmate, and she was really nervous about, about what she would say, and she couldn't decide between, we will always remember him or we will never forget him. And she kept going back and forth between the two statements as she stood in the receiving line. She kept rehearsing both of them. And when she finally made her way up to his parents, she nervously proclaimed, we will never remember him. (laughs) And when they gave her just this horrified look, she said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I said that. I'm sorry. That's not what I meant to say. What I meant to say was we will always forget him. Last week, I shared with you how uh, when my parents passed away, some sincere people tried to comfort me by saying, God has a plan in this, or everything happens for a reason, and just honestly how, how unhelpful that was for me in the moment. I wanna continue that theme today by sharing some of the stuff Christians often say when people pass away. And and what I really wanna do is I wanna call this some of the worst things you can say when people pass away. Like this. Well, at least he lived a long life. Many people die young. Or how about this one? She finished her work here I guess it was time for her to go. I've heard this one. It's time to move on. He's been gone for over a year now. Oh, you don't have to cry. She's not suffering anymore. And then, of course, this must have been God's plan all along. How many of you have lost a loved one? Yeah, it could be a husband or a wife, a sister or a brother, a good friend. It could be a parent or a child or a grandparent or a grandchild, a neighbor. Most all of you have. Not, not all of you, but almost all of you. It, it, until my mother-in-law passed away when I was 28, I'd never lost anyone close to me. And I really didn't know what it was like at that time to grieve the loss of a loved one. But as a pastor, and especially now as a person who has grieved many losses, I have heard all of the above. I've overheard some of those very words spoken to others at funerals, and I've had some of those words spoken to me as well. And some of those statements, while they might be true, some of them are perhaps true, none of them are helpful in the moment. And, of course, the one we're examining today is the one I hear all the time when somebody passes away, that heaven gained another angel. Here's what we want to discover today. We just want to ask the question and discover the answer. Is that a true statement? Is it biblical to say heaven gained another angel when someone passes Away, And of course, the, the short of it is, the simple answer is no, nothing in the Bible would agree with that statement. Nothing in scripture indicates that we become angels when we die. And the ancient word for angel simply means messenger. And the word angel can actually apply to a human messenger, but of course also to a spiritual being. But nothing in the Bible teaches that humans become angels when we die. Now, the Bible does teach a lot about life after death and and a little about angels and demons, but nothing in the Bible says we become angels when we die. So what does it teach? Well, I'll just do a quick summary as we kick things off. What does the Bible teach about those who die? Well, I'll mention four things. Number one, the Bible teaches that those who die physically... Live forever spiritually. Number two, the Bible teaches that our choices on earth have consequences in eternity. The Bible also teaches, and these are where we're really going to focus in today, but the Bible also teaches that, that when we die, our eternal destiny will be sealed. There's no second chances after death, no purgatory. Our eternity is sealed And then number four, the Bible teaches that those who die in Christ will live forever in paradise. With all those truths in view, let's take a look at Luke chapter 16. And and these are the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verses 19, and we're just going to start in 19 through 21. It says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And Lazarus would long to eat whatever fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the story of of the rich man and Lazarus, it is one of the many parables of Jesus. And parables are, are not true stories, but they're stories that communicate truth. In this particular parable contrasts the life the lives of a rich man and a poor man and in life the rich man lived in comfort while the poor man lived in agony verses 22 and 23 the time came when the beggar died and here's the angels the angels carried him to Abraham's side the rich man also died where he was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Father Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So in life, the rich man was in comfort while the poor man was in agony. In death, the rich man was in agony while the poor man was in comfort. Now the interesting thing is that this parable does not say why the rich man is in eternal agony and this parable does not say why the poor man is in comfort. But strangely enough, the parable does say, does indicate that they could see each other. As they had seen each other in life, they could also see each other in death. Verse 24. So he, this would be the rich man, so the rich man called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Again, the poor man is comforted by their ancestor, Abraham. Perhaps that tells us that part of the comfort of heaven is being with our loved ones. But the rich man, he's begging for pity while he's stuck in agony, And, and, and ironically, they've switched places. I mean, that's what the the next verse is all about, verse 25. But Abraham replied to the rich man, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Now the contrast of, uh, of comfort and agony continues. The rich man, comfort in life, agony in death. The poor man, agony in life, comfort in and death. And then verse 26, which I think is the, the key to unlocking this entire parable, Abraham says, besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Now this this is probably one of the most culturally controversial things in the entire Bible. I mean, there there are several things in the Bible that our culture struggles with. But here at First Christian Church, I want you to know we believe the Bible and we teach the Bible as truth. Like we may not always agree on how it ought to be interpreted, but we believe it's true. But but this whole idea that that some people are going to heaven and other people are going to hell It's just one of those ideas that we struggle with in our world and, and of course, especially in our culture today, right? And yet, it is one of the clearest teachings of Jesus, and so it's one that we really do have to wrestle with. And and I just want you to know, here's what I do personally on my spiritual journey. Here's what I do with the the teachings of Jesus that I wrestle with, because I'm going to be honest with you, I do wrestle with some of the teachings of Jesus, so when that happens, what happens? Here's what goes on with me. I, I work through this process where, where I think through and I remember that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago and he, he preached lots of great sermons and he did some incredible, unbelievable things, things we call miracles, And then Jesus predicted that he would be arrested and crucified by the Romans, but he also predicted that he conquered death and he would rise from the grave. And there is evidence, plenty of evidence support that yes, he did do those things and he did predict his death and he did predict his resurrection and then he did in fact conquer death. And so here's the thing. I'm with the guy who conquered death. Like, that's, that's it for me. Somebody defeats death and demonstrates power over death, I'm with him. Like, whatever he says goes. Whatever he teaches, I believe. Whatever he tells me to do, I'm in. I'm with the guy who defeated death, period. Like, that's it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And so in those moments where he teaches something that's hard for me, to understand about life or death or anything else. I'm just gonna assume he knows what he's talking about. And so when Jesus says, your eternity is sealed upon death, then I believe it. I believe he knows what he's talking about. But what's the story actually about? There are a lot of questions. One of the most debated and interesting parables Jesus ever told, like how should we understand it? Actually, a lot of questions about the story, like why did Jesus tell this story and how should we read it? How should we interpret it? How should we understand it? And real quickly, I just wanna do my best to answer three big questions about the rich man and Lazarus. And here's question number one. Is this a parable or a true story? Parable or true story? Some people think it's a a classic parable and that it's not a true story, but it communicates truth. It communicates a spiritual truth. And then there are other people who, who think it is a true story because it's the only parable of all the parables of Jesus. It's the only parable that gives a proper name or proper names. The poor man is named Lazarus. Abraham is mentioned. My favorite Bible scholar, my favorite theologian Dr. Jack Coshwell, he thinks this is more than a parable. He thinks this is actually a true story. I tend to disagree, however. I think it is a parable. Question number 2. Is this a literal description of life after death? Like is this what life after death actually Looks like Some people think Jesus is giving us new insight into life after death, a fiery place of agony on one side and a family-like place of comfort on the other side with a chasm in between, but you can see over from one side to the other. Some people say, yeah, that's actually what the heavenly realms will look like. Then other people think Jesus is, is not telling us what it looks like literally, but is working with what his audience already believed to make a powerful statement. But here's what we need to realize. These descriptions of the afterlife were not original with Jesus or even with the Jewish people. And so I tend to think this is not a literal description of life after death, but a powerful statement about life after death. And then question number three, is this a statement about eternity or economics? And, and that's the question people are asking lately. Some think, think this is a parable. It's not about eternity. It's about economic justice. Rich people are corrupt and hell bound. Poor people are oppressed and heaven bound. But it's not. I do not think this is a statement about economic justice. I think this parable is making a statement about the finality of eternity. And verse 26 is, is the key, and we read it a few moments ago, but it says, Between us, and this is Abraham, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. This parable is about the finality of eternity. Well, what else does the Bible say? about the finality of eternity. And it, it says a lot, by the way, but I'm just gonna share some of the things the Bible says about the finality of eternity. Daniel chapter 12, verse two, this is from the Old Testament prophets. It says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, and this word sleep is often used in scripture as a metaphor for death. Many of those who, who die, who sleep in the dust of the earth, shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In Matthew chapter 25 verse 46, Jesus said this, he said, they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. In John 3.16, Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In Romans 6.23, the apostle Paul said this, he said, for the wages Of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verses 13 and 14. Again, the apostle Paul, he says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have passed away, those who have fallen asleep in him. You see, the Bible is is actually very clear from both the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the teachings of the prophets to the teachings of Jesus to the teachings of Paul and the apostles. The natural world is not All there is. There is a supernatural world too, including a a heaven and a hell, including a place of agony and a place of comfort. And the choices we make here will affect what we experience there. And, And then, of course, there's just this question about becoming angels when we die. Luke chapter 16, verse 22, in this parable, angels are mentioned, and Jesus did not teach that we become angels when we die, but that he would send his angels to gather us for eternity. And that is an eternity of agony for those who are not in him, an eternity of comfort for those who are in him. And that phrase, in him, it really is the key, First Thessalonians 4.14, again, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Just a few days ago, one of a longtime church member suddenly and unexpectedly passed away and he was he was relatively young relatively healthy he was he was strong and he really loved Jesus and uh, our hearts are broken for those those who knew him hearts are broken for, for those who knew his family hearts are broken for his family but even just following his family and their testimony on social media these past few days comfort is found in knowing he died in Jesus. Because those who die in Jesus are promised eternity in paradise with Jesus. You see, the most important choice that we can ever, ever make is to live in Jesus. Not to live perfectly, not to live without sin, not to never make a mistake or never screw up. The most important choice we can make is to live in Jesus. Because those who live in Jesus and die in Jesus enter into eternity with Jesus. And eternity with Jesus is paradise. So as we've done each week of this series, I wanna wrap this up by saying What are we going to do with all of this? Where do we go from here? Well, the first thing is we're going to stop saying heaven gained another angel when people die because it's not true. Instead, we're going to use more helpful statements like, I am so sorry for your loss. Or how about this one? I don't know how you feel, but I'm here to help. Even the very simple, you're in my thoughts, in my prayers. Or how about this one? This is a great one. My favorite memory of your loved one is, and then you just share some of the things you remember. So that's the first thing. We're going to stop saying heaven gained another angel. Here's the second thing. As we said this throughout this series, we're going to allow our worldly values, even some of our deeply held traditions and yes, in some cases, even our superstitions like becoming an angel. We're gonna allow all those things to be replaced by the teachings of Jesus. And then the third thing is, and I really want every one of you to think through this in your mind. We're gonna encourage you to take your next spiritual step Whatever that step is, take your next spiritual step. If you are not a believer in God, then seek to know God with your whole heart. Just open your heart, open your mind humbly, and honestly seek after Him. Maybe you are a believer, but you have never committed, pledged your life to Jesus, then you can make that decision today to follow Him with your life and be baptized. We're actually going to have some baptisms today before we close our service. In Mark 16:16, 16, 16, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Or, or maybe you have been baptized. Well, then it's, it's time to dive deeper into your faith, to get into church, to connect with other Christians, to get in the Bible, to grow in your knowledge of God, and to get into the community to serve those in need, being the light of Jesus wherever you are. Or, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time and, and you've, you've kind of just lost that, that passion for God and, and, and you're not really connecting anymore and you're not really contributing anymore. Well, I would just say that there's never a better time than now, even as we're starting this new year, to get back in, to go all in. Because as long as there is a beat in your heart and breath in your lungs, it is not too late to take your next steps in Jesus. That's our takeaway. Take your next steps. Before we close, I wanna go back to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. This is Luke 16, verses 27 and 28. Now this is after Abraham has just made clear that once you die, your eternal destiny is sealed. After Abraham makes that clear, remember Jesus is telling the story. After Jesus makes that clear, the rich man makes one last request verses 27 and 28. This is the rich man. He says, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus back. Send Lazarus back to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. One of the very humbling privileges I, I have as a pastor is to walk alongside of those who have lost their loved ones. And sometimes those loved ones were, were people who believed in Jesus and loved Jesus and sometimes those loved ones were people who didn't know Jesus at all. And it's not my place to, to say or determine or decide who's in heaven and who isn't in heaven. My place is to comfort survivors and my calling is to tell people about Jesus. And so here's what I I like to do as I close any funeral sermon. I like to ask the family ahead of time. I'll ask this question if I get a chance. What are some of the things their loved ones loved to say? Like what, what were some of their favorite statements, some of their favorite sayings? What were some of the catchphrases they always used in life? Little bits of wisdom and whatnot. And then I'll share those things as I begin to close the sermon. But I also ask them ahead of time, I say, what do you think your loved one would say to us if they could come back one more time? What message do you think they would share to encourage or instruct or advise us? And, And then I'll use that as part of the conclusion of the funeral sermon. But then I always conclude with this. I believe if your loved one could come back today to tell you one more thing, they would urge you to follow Jesus with your life. And that's something I can say no matter where they are, no matter who they were, and no matter where they reside upon death. If your loved ones could come back, they would urge you to follow Jesus with your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to us. Give us the desire and the strength and the will to follow Jesus with our lives. That we look more like him, act more like him, talk more like him, and love more like him. We pray in his name. The name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.